Hello and welcome to the Tea Room Talks podcast, the podcast breaking the stigma. Thanks for joining me for another week. This week we're looking into unhealthy obsessions and body image. Now, it is something that some people might be surprised to know that I've struggled with. Other people who know me might think that that surprises them, but you know, someone like myself has always struggled with the way I look and the way I feel within my body. And, you know, for a lot of people, I'm sure it's going to be the same. Now, we're going to be speaking to Rachel and Claire, the owners of the eating disorder specialists. Now, they're going to talk to us, obviously, about what common eating disorders there are, how they're identified, and what, you know, contributing factors there are, why they are quite common, and why eating disorders exist in society. And naturally, we're going to talk about the ways that support is available and better understanding of disorders, which is so, so important, certainly to aid people who who suffer with it. So let's take a listen to the chat that I had with them. So for the first time ever, I'm joined with two guests today, Rachel and Claire. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. So... Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have you both on. Um you're both from the eating disorder specialist, so um a really important work that you do. If you'd both like to introduce yourselves, your job roles and obviously what your relation is to the organization. I am Claire Steedman and I am obviously the other half of Ted, so one of the co-founders and clinical directors. Hi, and I'm uh, Rachel Alderburn, uh, again the co-founder and clinical director, the other half of Ted's. That's brilliant and it's so lovely to have you on today and in regards to the creation prior to this what are both of your journeys with mental health? Um, Claire if you'd like to expand on your own personal journey. Well I think in general you know everybody has either experienced mental health problems to some degree and to different extents and also knows people you know within their family or social network who are or have struggled with different mental health problems. Um, In terms of, you know, what took me into my job and and what took me into the specialism of eating disorders, really, um, I had kind of personal experience of knowing someone who had an eating disorder and had that first-hand experience of their journey, really. And and unfortunately, then came with the experience of understanding maybe the lack of provision and how limited services were um, at that stage. I suppose I became quite passionate quite early on about trying to make a difference in terms of understanding, you know, where there were gaps in provisions, why there were gaps. But also, I think just naturally, I think therapists, you know, they, they or whatever profession we're in, we tend to go towards areas that fit us as people in terms of our experiences or our personalities or different types of things. So I think naturally I'm quite a people person. I've always been quite curious about people um, and quite engaged with, you know, cultures, religions, languages, you know, and just generally I've always been curious about and people tend to warm to me. They uh, often People will come and talk to me and tell me, Rachel always laughs because if we're out, people will come and they tend to tell me their life story within 10 minutes. So I I seem to just have, you know, there's something about me being quite a people person and and I love learning about people and and, and listening to people. So I think me personally, I was always 
someone that was going to end up working and helping others. Um, and yeah, and, and then, then it just kind of, because of the personal experience, fell into the specialism really um and i've never kind of looked back since i'm still very passionate about it um yeah definitely and uh, a bit about me from from my perspective you know it must have been really difficult to to see someone you you cared about you know go through this journey um and it's certainly going to change your opinions on what you think and what you understand about the topic and 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 you know that's normally true for for everyone if it's close to home it's something that almost flicks within inside you and you sort of think I can't believe that they're not getting the support they need um Rachel would you um care to tell us about your backstory with mental health yeah well similarly to Claire you know I I don't think any of us can say we've never not been touched by mental health in some way whether it again it be personal or you know in our family's friends or you know we're all kind of affected somehow directly or indirectly um, and again, that was kind of my my journey. Uh, new people kind of with mental health grew up uh, with people with mental health problems. And and again, you know, we all kind of have personal kind of um, touched by it, should we say. And again, mental health was an area I went into initially, again, kind of just really wanting to kind of help people understand as well. That kind of understanding is a, a really helpful way to support others, you know. Um, as well as kind of within the the profession as well so that's kind of how I generally started with general mental health and then obviously went into specialised with uh, with an eating disorders again it was just something really passionate about I kind of did a lot of studies and kind of my um, dissertation and things like that on around uh, around eating disorders and body image and that just kind of you know as we organically started working within this area uh, again, like Claire, we kind of saw this gap where people were just not getting the support they needed or having to be in really kind of harsh parameters, either, you know, really low BMIs, and things like that, where we're actually, uh, we wanted to be accessible. So that's kind of, uh, among lots of other things, why we kind of went out and developed um, into TEDs. Yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. And, you know, from the sounds of it, that's very much what led to the creation of it and why you, you decided to to create this uh, amazing place, really, because, you know, when mm. it's something that touches you and makes you realise what's going on, it often actions that change. And, and naturally, people like yourselves are the ones, are the unsung heroes, really, in life, because founding these sort of organisations... They, they shouldn't have to exist, but they do. Um, and the people that need them are going to be ever so grateful that they do because, you know, it can often be a lonely experience, whether we're talking about eating disorders here or, or any other disorders, when you feel like you're the only one going through it. And it's certainly, they are common, obviously, eating disorders, but they're not always entangled with everyone. And then people can feel like an outcast and not know where to turn. So it's fantastic, really, that... Um, this you know was created by you both branching into that you know how have you found it so far after founding the organization <laughs> oh well a roller coaster shall we say <laughs> we we emerged during covid so it was it was obviously came with its own challenges but uh however i think that that it gave us a head start in terms of using online because we had no other you know, no other platform you know we had to do it that way because we couldn't obviously see people and at that time people were already starting to become you know or forced into becoming comfortable being online using kind of teams and zoom and all that kind of stuff you know so 
for us that actually it has benefited us because that's the only platform we use now we're an online service and we found that that can be you know it's not for everyone but for us and for our clients it seems to work well um flexibility time wise i think as well i think what is really important to note is that when we when we kind of started the the service we were our clinicians who had been working in the nhs or under private services so we weren't business women you know we were therapists and so i think when rachel's connecting with roller coaster i think it really definitely felt like that because we didn't have you know when i was at university um we didn't get business courses you know we weren't educated on how to start a business or how to be private how to be our own service so we really had to do a lot of the groundwork and it was such a roller coaster because we you know we kind of gradually jumped into it and we didn't know how this was going to evolve did we you know you never know when you go out and you, you you do these things but one thing for sure is that we did know is that we put a lot of passion and a lot of heart into it and that's definitely what we do and I think what I did want to say was in relation to before about personal experience and kind of bringing that I think those kind of things make us better therapists I think the fact that we can relate to certain things our clients may be going through or we can you know that we we kind of pride ourselves in being very warm and accessible and just being very genuine not coming across like we have everything in order and we are perfect and everyone else has lots of problems and we are there to fix them that's not the way Rach and I work we're very much human and warm and we're very aware that we're not perfect and we you said Toby earlier that you know people must be grateful that we are here and we, but actually Rachel and I I think every day I say it to a client you know I feel so grateful and privileged that they're working that they're with us you know that they've gave us a chance to listen to their story and walk alongside them through really through periods of light but also through periods of dark you know and I think uh, that for me is is it drove us it always drives us are the clients and it sounds super cheesy and a lot of people say oh but you know I get some friends you know but you do have to earn money you know and, and but I'll say well, of course we do but again you have to believe us that Rachel and I with the online platform what Rachel was just connecting with there we can keep costs down as well you know we really think through about being ethical and as accessible as possible because we don't want people who are from a specific socioeconomic background to just be able to access us. We want people from different walks of life to be able to try and access us if they feel like they want to change. So it, sometimes people find it hard to believe, you know, but we we aren't businesswomen. We had to learn it from scratch. <laughs> we had to put a lot of effort and time in. We, you know, we've had to learn about accounts and about taxes and about you know these kind of things social media and, and, social media and we and we've and we you know I can't believe we've done it you know we have actually done it but the thing is is the clients are also benefiting we've discharged people who have recovered you know and it's it's a bit overwhelming really when you mm. sit and reflect on it you know we have to pinch ourselves a lot don't we we often reflect <laughs> on that and say gosh you know it's pretty overwhelming yeah, definitely. And I, I certainly relate to that, you know, as a, a small business owner myself, 
you don't learn these things mm. you know you're not told how to manage taxes finances accounts how to manage <laughs> workflow you are everything all enveloped in one and this is obviously this mm. is a prime example of why I love getting the guests that I do because you have no relation to me whatsoever in construction however you have the same stresses as I do. That is what binds us <laughs> as humans, you know. Like we get, we get these stresses yeah. <laughs> in life, and and business is certainly one of them. And um, yeah, it, it like you said about being more approachable. Certainly with myself, where I've struggled with mental health in the past, it makes me, or how I feel, it makes me more approachable to my fellow person that I've struggled in the past. Um, because you know they might feel that they they can be a bit more you know open to me and they can be a bit more honest of what's mm. going on and, and how they feel because I've been there and I, I not like I'm an expert not by any means but you when you've been there you know the sort of right mm. way to ask the questions or to know the feelings they might go not in a prying manner but more just checking how they are and I think sometimes that's why it can be so difficult with mental health and obviously it can make people so passionate because sometimes it can just be the the almost like the um, striving force behind to what you do now you know certainly in my example it is however it doesn't define who I am and that's why you know you can just get so passionate about the topic so yeah no that's great it's good that you're you know doing well and and yeah it's it's never going to be an easy road certainly with any any sort of business but you know it's hard because I suppose, you know, as a side note, you're always going to have the stresses of managing these various bits as a business, but you've got your actual patients and that must be really hard to some days manage the business and admin side, but have such a burden on your shoulders. Like, what would you say about about that? I think we obviously get um, supervision because we're therapists, so we actually have to have therapy. So we have to have it, you know, on a regular basis. So... I would never say, and I, I am gonna. I'm just gonna say, I would never say my the clients that we see are burdens, you know, because actually they are what we do it for. They are they're like I would say the the bits of glitter in my day. They're 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 that that's what I'm here for. That's what, and I know Rachel feels the same. That they're the ones that we're here for. I think that um, Rachel and I have naturally evolved into certain roles, and there is I'm I'm laugh I'm smiling because I'm I'm. Rachel's, Rachel knows what I'm talking about here that you know I am um, surprisingly enough I do I, I lack common sense everybody that knows me knows that I'm quite comfortable with that okay not very not very pragmatic however I'm very I, I can actually I like things in order and I like it so I naturally went into more of the account stuff and when we do kind of posts I tend to be quite factual orientated I'm quite you know uh, I, I don't know how to describe that. I, d- I don't know where it comes from, but that tends to be my side of things. I like to keep things in order. Rachel does a lot of the creative, social media, messy stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've naturally, and people, when we talk this through, and, you know, I never get, it always, always surprises me, but when people say, well, how do you guys work together? How does you, how did you designate your roles out? How did you, and actually it was a very natural process. And I think because we were such good friends before, you know, we, we just, we have such a love and respect for one another that 
it's such a natural intuitive process that we take for granted actually you know until someone stops us and asks us that you know one week Rachel might answer more inquiries than me but then I'm doing the accounts in the background or and then the other week and actually I might answer a wee bit more of them and then she does something else so we were very subconsciously intuitive um, and I think that is quite special I think our clients feel that because obviously our clients see us both as part of the therapy team so they feel very held by me and Rachel and, and it means that Rachel and I can kind of help contain people because we, we we do bring similar and different things but I would say that we are at a point where we we're fortunate enough to think about expanding so we we do need to think about that and think about a plan ahead but in terms of looking after ourselves you know I think that we have a good balance in terms of we all we have our own therapy you know we we constantly reflect Rachel and I we meet every week we talk through the clients we talk through what we need to do so we support one another you know so we feel quite held um and I think that helps us kind of manage as a business and and kind of our trainings obviously working with people so that bit is the that's the joy the bits where I'm like what is this account doing that's the bit where my brain's a bit more new to it you know but I'm but I'm but I'm getting there you know we're getting there you know yeah, yeah that's the bit where I just ring Claire and say Claire <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's that relationship though it's definitely that relationship that keeps us afloat we're like Claire said we're constantly reflecting and um, bouncing off each other when one's struggling a bit we'll pick each other up and it vice versa it's just the way we've kind of that's how we've evolved and that's why we knew we we could we could work as business partners <laughs> yeah no that's exactly it and yeah, you're, you're totally right. Um, patients certainly aren't a burden. I think I was uh, bringing my construction side there and thinking about builders who are my burdens. But yeah. <laughs> but um, So let's go into, you know, what your organisation is based upon, you know, eating disorders. Can we talk about what common eating disorders there are and how they're identified? Yeah, so we obviously, I think most people would say as soon as you ask someone what an eating disorder is or what they know of them, they'd say, oh, anorexia, which obviously is an eating disorder. And that's characteristically uh, as people uh, use food as a way to cope. So they would restrict, limit the amount of food they take, potentially overexercise. And it's about controlling their weight and uh, an intense fear of, of weight gain. Um and then obviously you've got bulimia, which again would be uh, maybe periods of restriction and then uh, binges, or large amounts of food in quite a quick space of time and then uh, vomiting that back up. Um, and then actually uh, in 2013, there was um, binge eating disorder actually became a, a diagnosis, which was actually, I think, one of the one of the most common eating disorders um, that we actually have. Um, and binge eating is obviously where someone has frequent binges and takes in a, a quite large amount of food, generally in quite secret and then characterised by kind of feelings of, of guilt around themselves. Arfid is another um, eating disorder, again, that was recognised in 2013. Arfid stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. And that generally it used to be known as like the children's eating disorder, but because it's commonly seen in children. But actually it can, it can stem into adulthood as well. And that's um, a fear of certain types of food, either certain textures, 
tastes and smells sticking to very kind of familiar safe food groups maybe cutting out entire food groups uh, potentially a fear of vomiting or just a, a loss of interest in food what completely and there's there's obviously another non-specified eating disorders as well which is probably one of the biggest eating disorders we see where they don't actually fall into one particular category there's there's subtypes from different types of eating disorders that we see so they're generally the kind of main ones you have kind of other niche ones and you also have ones that perhaps are maybe bumped around sort of on social media and things like that you might have heard the term like orthorexia and kind of you know all these kind of maybe kind of the social media stuff which are not actually recognized but can come with their own struggles i think as well just to add to Rachel's kind of summary and it can be really helpful to think about them in context and, and give like facts I was just saying earlier, I like facts, don't I? Numbers. So here you go, I'm, I'm fulfilling my role, really. So, so <laughs> when we look at something like, I just, it always sticks in your head when you think about these things and think about the, the statistics. So if we think about how common each eating disorder is when we gather the, you know, the population um, and put a number on it, it's quite surprising when you look at what ones are the most common and what, what ones aren't. So, when we were thinking, when Rachel mentioned ARFID there, which is the avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, that can tend to be attached to children who have autism. So it's, it tends to be about the phobia and, and things like that. That actually accounts for 5% of cases when we look at everything in a whole. Anorexia, which is, I think, the, as Rachel said, the one that comes to mind when we think about eating disorders, because it's so visually shocking. You know, you can see that someone has anorexia. The misconceptions, you can see that someone has anorexia, but actually someone still has anorexia when they've restored their weight. That's you're still you still have anorexia if you are a healthy BMI. It, it's it doesn't go with physical restoration, which is another kind of myth. It's important to, I think, clear up really. But that actually accounts for 8% of cases. So it's actually the second lowest. So it's not, it's not, you know, and I think people think it's really common, it's the most common, but it's actually not. And then uh, bulimia accounts for about 19% of cases. Um, binge eating disorder is about 22. And then the one that encompasses most is OSFED which is this other other specified feeding or eating disorder. And essentially, the way I like to look at that is it's a wee bit like the IBS of eating disorders. There's not a specific thing going on. You know, they can't put you in a box. So it's like a label that's given to someone with different. But so I think knowing the kind of numbers is, is really interesting and thinking about what people perceive in our society as being the most common or the most prevalent. But I think when we're trying to understand eating disorders in general, and it's something I've been talking to some of my clients about recently, is the way that I think is a really good way of trying to think about them is eating disorders, whatever they are, they often step in when someone needs to step out of life. Does that make sense? So they, yep. they often step in to help someone manage distress, anxiety, trauma, whatever it is they're, they're experiencing, lack of confidence, you know, a lack of assertiveness, whatever it is, an eating disorder will step in, which essentially allows the person to step out of life. 
and and I think that that's um, quite helpful in thinking about the role of an eating disorder, because the way that someone develops an eating disorder is a very uh, subjective journey and it's very individual to each person. There can be familiar themes, but it still is quite and you know, it's still quite subjective and unique. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the way that they're perceived by people can also be difficult. You know, you get, um, like you yeah. say, misconceptions. And certainly it's harder for reception of um, acceptance. I'm sure you might even find it in the way that females accept it towards how males accept it and the way that it's talked about potentially in the workplace. Um you know, in my experience, um, not even with food um, disorders or eating disorders, it's more, you know, things that can sort of come from self-image, you know, and I've struggled a lot in the past, certainly with my self-image. I'm, I'm not a, a skinny guy, not by any means. And being in construction, you know, you're often surrounded by these big blokey guys and it's easy for you know topics of your weight to get discussed and things like that and it's it's something that I definitely dealt with mm-hmm. and I feel like it was a contributor when I was growing up that the more I got um sort of joked about the more I thought that I would like turn to food as definitely it is my comfort blanket there is no uh, denial mm. from that food is 100% it up and it, it can just be difficult mm. and it's good that you mentioned about how they come about and where the themes almost of this unhealthy obsession comes from because you've touched on there like trauma definitely is very common and coping mechanisms like for myself 100% um, I suppose you will deal with the more clinical sides like the habitual or the you might have OCD ones or at you know proper obsessions or compulsions to deal with and I suppose that's where would you say there's more of the element of the psychology side to it than there is the actual um, topics of like self-image and social media would you would you say? I think it all comes under therapy really I think what I mean um, obsessions and compulsions that that would be I mean, OCD is a completely separate diagnosis. So that wouldn't be something that we... I mean, people can be highly anxious and have obsessive thoughts. That's 100% accurate. But uh, I suppose when we are getting to know someone and figuring out what's contributed to the development of an eating disorder, we everybody's journey would be different and be subjective. And it's a it's a there's almost like lots of different things and and we often connect it as almost like a perfect storm of events or or traits or things that have happened and that all come together and then gradually the eating disorder steps in and everybody's reasons for that uh, every individual's reasons for that are, are very different and subjective to them there are common themes so you're connecting there with coping strategies now the stress and trauma and coping strategies, me and Rachel wouldn't see them as separate things. They're all one and the same, you know, they're they're just different in terms of cause and effect and how someone's managing. So if someone has, you know, been bullied at an early age, they're quite perfectionistic, be anxious, maybe there's high expectations at home, uh, you know, maybe there was some sort of trauma in their teenage years, um, they didn't feel confident, they didn't feel good enough pressure at school all of a sudden they you know 
limit their food intake, they feel a wee bit more in control, feel a wee bit more confident, feel a wee bit more, you know, and, and it's just like a gradual, that's a very kind of simplistic example, but it's a, a way of kind of showing you maybe how one person's journey might look. And then what happens is the eating disorder steps in somehow very gradually and fulfills a function or a need. And it is dysfunctional, but it does do its job. So whether it's um, numbing someone, you know, uh, creating a, helping them feel more detached from the distress, whether it's um, comforting someone, whether it's um, giving someone control, whether it's making someone feel more confident, uh, it could be all of them at the same time. It, there's, it's a subjective. And so, yeah, it is a kind of coping strategy in a way. Um, and then you've got to work out the function that it's serving for that person, why it's in their life. And then you've got to help them process trauma, use other ways of mani managing anxiety, learn other ways of managing distress, different things, and help them learn the skills and do the kind of past exploration work, uh, processing of trauma to then be able to be an individual that can manage on their own without the use of that big dysfunctional coping strategy, I suppose. And again, that's one way of looking at it. I don't know if that helps yeah. kind of clarify. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the way that it almost sounds like is very similar to the way that addiction creeps in um, to, you know, fill that void or that space where people need to focus on something different. And, and like you say, whether it's to numb the pain, whether it's to exaggerate the pain, um, of what someone might be going through or feel the space of where someone stepped out of their life or yeah it's it, it really does explain that situation I think often the misconception certainly is that people are doing it just because of self-image um, which obviously mm. is like you've said it's mm -hmm. certainly not true and considering as well you've given the percentages of what um, you know the diagnosis and the the common eating disorders you have sort of nationally it just shows you that even anorexia where people would assume that that's all an eating disorder is it isn't even the top one um, would you say you know the figures for um, you know the the typical cases you have like male to female is there there any comparison in regards to what is more common and age groups what would you say you've you've got in regards to figures there so the actual the actual UK statistic is that one in four is as a, a, a male. So and I would say that that in our um, caseloads is reflected quite accurately. I think, yeah. I, I suppose the one thing to say around that though as well is even though that statistic there obviously because of the misconceptions around society and the kind of stigmas and things like that you are going to find that there's a lot of males that will still be struggling but they just they don't seek help that you know they, they won't account in that data because of this stigma around that of being able to kind of seek help and and get that support and so actually that I would imagine that statistic is actually probably higher. Wow yeah which tells you a lot really about the the sort of way mm. it is and the way that you know we are in the UK. You were asking about kind of age and and, and kind of statistics generally um, and I think uh, the the prevalence of eating disorders is constantly increasing 
So year on year when we go and check this figure for maybe like if I'm doing presentations or something, uh, it always goes up. So I think currently it's um, estimated that 1.25 million people in the UK have an eating disorder. So that's the statistic currently. And they are, and that's at least, and that figure is constantly increasing. Mm. So these are the ones that are diagnosed. But bearing in mind that even some of the people that we see, they don't have a diagnosis. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, you know, and, it, and it's rising every year, you know, it's, it rises year on year. And eating disorders don't discriminate. Mm. You know, they they affect people of all socioeconomic backgrounds, um, of all ages, you know, of all gen, you know, with the, the genders, um, sexual orientations, race, ethnicity. They they don't discriminate, you know. So so, um, that's a really important kind of fact, um, because in the past there was a lot of misconceptions about specific, um, types of you know, people from different backgrounds or ages just have an eating disorders, and that's not the case at all. Yeah, definitely. And and does that make you feel worried that year on year um, the numbers are increasing, or or in a, in a strange way a bit reassured that people are actually now getting diagnosed and seeking that help? How does it make you feel? It's difficult, Toby, because obviously you know it's such an awful thing. Eating disorders, as as we've just mentioned, there'll be so many people out there without a diagnosis that are struggling. Uh, you know, that don't fit into any category. They just fall under this kind of disordered eating, or just even having a bad relationship with their body or with food. You know, it's it's absolutely huge, and it will at some point, as I said, affect uh, someone at, at at some point in their life, at least directly or indirectly. So, of course, it's a huge struggle. And I think that was kind of one of the reasons why we created TEDS as well, because when we're looking at kind of working in uh, specific kind of places like, you know, where you you've got certain criteria to meet before you can actually get any support at all. We needed to to have something that could be accessible, like Claire was explaining to anybody. Um, and everybody, regardless of that, because as I say, like, you know, it, you know, eating disorders, as Claire was saying, doesn't discriminate. Um, and we are seeing a huge rise in that. COVID obviously had a, a factor in that as well, just in general mental health round. Uh, we saw numbers rising then as well. So uh, I think it's 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 heartbreaking, obviously. Um but I'm not sure if it's a relief because I do know that there's a significant amount of people that still can't access that support. Yeah. And and branching into support, um, how do you feel regard in regards to like workplaces? Obviously we know on a personal note that people can try and find through their GP, you know, various um channels to try and get themselves on the right track but how do you feel about workplaces do you feel that there's a lack of support for workplaces to maybe boost understanding for their employees or perhaps employees that might be going through because it's a long process it's not just um, going to be a case of um, making them aware it might be obviously involving lifestyle changes and ha- like habit changes you know for like the workplace how do you feel in regards to that, do you feel that there's a lack or do you feel that you're seeing a bit of a, a boost? 
I definitely think since COVID, you've seen some places beginning to offer uh, certain like general support in mental health. And there is a little bit more of an emphasis on people, you know, taking mental health days and there should be that kind of balance with physical health and mental health. But I, there's still a huge deficit. There's still a lot of work in that area to be done. And it really does depend on the type of workplace situation that you're talking about. For instance, like the kind of workplace that you're in, Toby, this is obviously one of the reasons why you started doing this to kind of raise awareness that, you know, mental health affects, uh, you know, all of us. So it's it's again, it will be um, dependent on which kind of area that you're going into. Um, as I say, the work kind of place that, that you're in, I'm assuming there's pretty much none that um no kind of support there which um you know obviously other places there might be you know more equipped at that so it's it's about kind of getting that word out about that it needs to be accessible to everyone everywhere yeah yeah that's right and going back to um obviously yourselves and your organization um what are the the services that you do you mentioned there that everything is online now so do you do um face-to-face -face, um sessions is there advice what what sort of services are you offering to um you know people out there well obviously we've got uh our you know our therapy service we we offer different packages to suit different levels of needs and uh, financial commitments um so we obviously we'll we'll be offering groups but then uh, individual sessions as well like our whole model is based on claire and i working together and a, a kind of complementing we bring different types of therapy and different tools and obviously ourselves as therapists we bring ourselves into what we do what we offer so that that we work really closely connected so we'll flex to the clients so if you know just off the top of my head if you know if a client's presenting with quite a lot of trauma from the past we might you know use something like EMDR uh, if they're presenting with kind of a lot of anxiety we might be looking at CBT based things like anxiety management things like that um so we'll flex to that with the different kind of packages to suit as, as I mentioned but we also um what we do is we we have a website so we put regular blogs on we use social media and we like to try and put in things like you know awareness or tips like our ted's tips on i don't know managing holidays with an eating disorder that we've just you know done recently and just things like that to kind of help the general public and um and, and just raise awareness really yeah yeah that's right and what you know what's what's for the future then what what are your aims in the in the future in the next few years <laughs> this is a big question this goes around <laughs> in claire's head very very often <laughs> um, i mean we 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 kind of decided to keep things steady this year didn't we we had a kind of away day and really kind of thought okay we'll keep things as they are at the moment we we're we're busy we try not to you know pack ourselves too much because obviously as we say that reflection time and 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 being able to kind of have enough space between to reflect and debrief and things is really important to us we don't want to cram as many people in as possible because that's just not fair on us or our clients um uh so whether it is that we look at offering face-to-face -face in the future, something that we've thought about, whether it, you know, whether we kind of expand taking other people on. I mean, there's, as I say, we're not 100% sure yet, but there's lots of, there's lots of ideas in the pipeline. As we said, you know, we're like, we're, we weren't kind of business women, you know, that's not really our remit. Um, and I think we have had a lot of learning and, you know, we've had to do a lot of learning over the past couple of years. And it's been amazing because, you know, again, having 
having the service and, and people being able to access us and make some changes and and go on and kind of you know recover is 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 what we do it for really we we really do and I think that we have options to grow expand you know take it in different directions but I think we we've always done things very intuitively you know and we and we kind of know when we need to move and I think we've felt like at the moment you know um things are quite good we're in a good place and we just need to kind of think about I think we'll naturally know when we need to take the next move I think it's less of a strategic thing um, and more of a kind of feeling thing you know we just kind of go with how how things are feeling and what we think and and I, I yeah I think we've built a really good platform a really good solid company and I think it's been amazing you know for example doing podcasts and raising awareness and you know making a feeling like you're making a difference in the world somehow and I think that's what we're doing it for you know we're doing it so that we can help people and make a wee difference um, in an area where there's not a lot of provision you know there's such a lack of provision um, so if we can reach you know just one person then we, we've done a good job right you know that's the that's the key thing I think so we're very passionate about keeping our hearts within this and yeah. keeping the service about people, not about expanding and losing its heart or its warmth. Yeah, and, and that's what's important, you know, and, and you mentioned there, even with in regards to expanding or anything like that, it's it's about when it feels right and when the moment feels right. And to be honest, that's what a lot of people who are successful and, and you know, in business say so it sounds like business woman talk to me so I think you're on the right path there so in regards <laughs> to that you're doing something right definitely um you're being too kind you're being too kind you clearly don't know me well enough Toby <laughs> um finally um in regards to Ted's um please um share away your social medias where where people can find you and where they can follow you to obviously either get in touch to learn about your services and potentially seek help um but also just to to follow the the, the sort of great work that you do thank you very much toby we we actually have a website it's just uh, it's just edspecialist.co.uk it's very simple just exactly who we are and on the website you'll see and uh, able to email us we've got twitter uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, and there's a blog on there too. Um, so yeah, we're we're around. <laughs> yeah, which is absolutely fantastic. And and like myself, rather, um, you know, it's there to to signpost and to help people to get them on the on the right path and and you know find their way that they might need a, a little help in hand just to get to to the right place. So thank you both so much uh, for joining me today um it's been absolutely fantastic to to speak to you and to learn about something that you know i've i've seen very much in the breach but not really been able to to chat to someone directly about it so it's been really interesting to have you guys on today thank you toby yeah thanks for having us and uh, fantastic work you're doing the chat there with rachel and claire Really interesting once again because it's been good to learn and educate even myself about the disorders that are out there, the information that is out there to better understand what people can be going through and often the way that it can 
easily seep into people's lives like things like addiction they're often misconceived and people can often get a bad rep that they look like they're doing it to themselves with eating disorders it's often looked that people do have control when in reality it's no different to any sort of disorder or mental health condition that is out there that you you just simply don't have control over your life and this is why it's so good to understand these conditions better and of course as well it was interesting to learn as a small business you know the stresses that they go through and you know almost speak to them on a level like that that we all are similar and small business owners here all go through the same struggles that we spoke about in the episode so once again thanks for listening this week um all the relevant information will be in the episode description for your use and i look forward to having a chat again next week